0: time, greeting one another, passing the peace of Christ. So as I am uh, asking a different kind of question and figuring out how to answer that question, I just want you to know that children are going to be moving around and moving around, even adults, to go back to the cross behind me, and I'm okay with that, so I don't want that to bother you. Um, so I figure you can still listen to what's going on up here while they move around and uh, help us fill out our cross. That sound good? So Kurt asked one kind of question: What's your favorite thing about Easter? And I want to ask a different question, and a more profound question, if you will. And that is: How do we know that this resurrection story is true? How do we know that it's not just a fairy tale? How do we know that, like the women bringing the spices, ready to acknowledge the fact that this man who was so amazing and worked amazing miracles and changed their lives forever, they were ready to acknowledge that he was now dead, that he was no longer with them, that he was a part of history? So what helps us know That he's not a part of history, but is still with us. What helps us know that we didn't just make this up? Because we want it to be true. Because we need it to be true. When I was taking anthropology, I remember that was one of the things that kind of rocked my faith. Was that cultures and people create of faith that helps them make sense of the world and to learn how to be in the world? How do we know that this story, this resurrection story, isn't just something that we made up and want to be true, that we need it to be true? I think that's what the apostles were thinking when the women came back and told this outrageous story. And they told the 11 and the other disciples that were there that they had just gone to the tomb and there was no body inside. And on top of that, there were these amazing messengers that told them that he had been raised from the dead. And the 11 thought, okay, they want that to be true. They need that to be true. But what helps us know that it is true? Because the truth is, there's no proof that it's true. There is no scientific proof that Jesus is raised from the dead. And in all the stories in Scripture, all the gospel accounts, there is no explanation of how Jesus was raised. What we do have, what we have, is the same thing that they had then. And I'm noticing three things that they had that we have that help us know it's true. One is messengers who knew that it was true. They had two men standing next to these women, glowing, saying, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here in this tomb. He has risen. They had messengers They also had God's promises, God's word. They asked the women this question. They said, do you remember how he told you when he was with you in Galilee that all this would happen? That he'd be handed over to sinners, that he would be crucified, that he'd be raised on the third day? So they had these promises, and the women start clicking, putting it together, and they remembered that's true. He did say that this would happen. But more than that, if you follow where the messengers are sending them, and if you go where the Word of God is sending them, the third and most important thing that they have that helps us know thats true, that they actually have their own experience of Jesus alive. Their own experience. If you follow what happens with the women, what happens with the men, they have their own experience of Jesus alive. That's how we know. Messengers who know it's true, God's Word... Having our own experience of Jesus. You know, two messengers that have really ministered to me recently, and we always need them, we don't outgrow our need for these messengers, are a couple, Steve and Cheryl Hainer. I got to know them probably 20 years ago plus. They were a part of a gathering of Presbyterian pastors that gets together every year, prays for one another every day. about 35 pastors from across this nation and I'm a part of that covenant group. In the last couple of years we've met in Atlanta, Georgia because that's where Steve and Cheryl lived and Steve was the president of the seminary there, Columbia Theological Seminary. And I will tell you out of all 35 pastors great peeps, all of them everybody loves Steve the best. Why? He was this Activist for justice and compassion around the world. He was this insatiable learner and he could be taking the church to a cutting edge and always communicated so simply. He was humble. He was a servant leader. Everybody loved him. We felt lucky to even know him. So you can imagine how devastated we were two Easters ago when he found out that he had pancreatic cancer. And before we even had the chance to meet again in Atlanta, he had died. Devastating. He and his wife Cheryl, as many people do when they are journeying with cancer, put together a caring bridge online so that they could post what was going on, update the status, and people could send comments to them. Well, all the posts that they wrote on their caring bridge and that other people wrote were put together in a book. It's called Joy in the Journey. This book I am reading, just a little part, every morning during my prayer time. And they are messengers that are convinced they know Jesus is alive. October 8th, I want to read just a few paragraphs that Cheryl, his wife, wrote. She wrote, What has struck us is the suddenness with which life radically changed five months ago. On Good Friday, Steve was in the office, and by Tuesday, we were at Emory Hospital, where an ultrasound and a CT scan revealed the presence of a mass on Steve's pancreas. Since that day, Steve has not been able to work more than an hour at a time. He's not been to church or boarded a plane. He's not been to the gym, something he did many times a week, nor has he been able to read an entire book. Life is like that. Things happen that we do not expect or want. Friends often confess to me that they could never live as we are, embracing our changing circumstances, choosing to trust God with the outcome. Our faith is not as strong as yours, they say. She writes, I have thought the same thing when observing the suffering of a friend or family member. When Steve and I both realize, or what Steve and I both realize, is that we have been preparing all our lives for this season. Our attempts to follow Jesus every day, every normal, mundane day, have prepared us for these tumultuous days. Such messengers, every day when I read, convinced and experiencing that it is true. You have your own messengers who know and are confident and who speak out of the depths of that reality that Jesus is alive. It may be a colleague at work, I've heard you name. It may be a parent. It may be a pastor or a leader in the church. I know for Kurt, it's been Earl Palmer, who's coming at the end of April, who's been a phenomenal pastor and a messenger for so many people, including me. I know for Earl Palmer, it's been C.S. Lewis. He's going to be teaching about C.S. Lewis that day. God gives us messengers. And God also gives us God's word. Don't you remember how he told you when he was still in Galilee, while he was still with you, that this would happen? He'd be handed over to sinners. He would be crucified on the third day he would be raised. And they remembered God's Word goes before us, goes behind us, guiding us, giving us confidence as we move into the reality, the true reality of the biblical story. I don't know if any of you have been on a trust walk, a trust walk exercise. Some people do it at work. Some people do it for all kinds of reasons at retreats. How many of you have been on a trust walk where you've actually been blindfolded? Somebody else has to lead you around or they go from behind. Yeah, they're kind of scary. Sometimes the people are good at it, and sometimes you're bumping into all kinds of stuff. But I think of a trust walk when I think of God's Word, and I want to read to you one more thing out of this book that was written on the Caring Bridge by a really good friend of Steve Hainer. His name is Steve Harrington. And he was remembering when he led Steve Hainer on a trust walk. So, listen to this. My favorite unique memory with you was years ago at the Wellspring Retreat Center, and you remember we were given various iterations of the Trust Walk. And in one of those exercises, we were supposed to guide our blindfolded partner from behind using only our voice. You walked in front of me, and I directed you with only words into a small thicket of woods. I had you stepping over logs and ducking down below uh, strong branches. You went slowly. You could feel dead wood snapping beneath your feet and all of the twigs on your face as you brushed past them. You knew that you were walking through a very thick and tangled terrain, a precarious path for someone blindfolded and having to trust only the words spoken to them. And then I brought you almost out of the woods to the very edge of a large, flat, grassy field and stopped you six inches from the grass. You were still standing in the woods blindfolded. You remember, right? You had no idea that all the tangles and tripping hazards and undergrowth and slapping branches and hard trees were behind you and that before you was only a broad, flat, lush field of green grass. You were still in the woods, imagining yourself stuck in the midst of all the tangles and hazards. Only I knew that before you it was all level and open and free of any encumbrance or danger or fear. Then I said, At the count of three, I want you to run straight forward as fast as you can. I counted to three, and with great trust, you took off running charging ahead, screaming your lungs out, flailing your arms, worried that you were still careening through the woods, but also suddenly laughing to find out that you were out of the tangled danger and running easily into a flat field full of soft and forgiving grass. This is the journey ahead of you, my friend. Whenever it is that you take it, the word is behind you, but also goes before you. The word made flesh walks with you and is within you, and therefore all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. How do we know it's true? God gives us messengers who are confident that it's true, God gives us God's word. Proclaiming, declaring, guiding from behind, guiding from in front, that it is indeed true. But these things by themselves are not enough. They are not enough. The whole point of the messengers, the whole point of God's word, is that we each have our own unique experience of Jesus alive. That's where this story is taking us. That's how we really know that it's true. The women, every single one of them, if you keep reading in the story, and I hope you join us as we move through Luke and Acts into the experiences that they have of Jesus alive in the coming weeks, they had their own unique experience of Jesus alive. Kurt and I have been leading learning circles, small groups. We're learning with, with one another, from one another, about how to know Jesus how to experience him, how to know him intimately, become like him. And one of the questions I asked recently of the group called Follow Me, it's a Follow Me learning circle, was this. When have you heard Jesus calling you by name and responded? And I've had to round that out a little bit and say, when have you been absolutely clear that God was getting your attention, that God saw you and heard you, and was responding to you. The stories that they have told have been very, very moving, and I can tell you, none of them are the same. God encounters us in Jesus Christ in the uniqueness of who we are. And it's not Jesus in front of me saying, Hello, Mary. Usually it's what I call God coming at us sideways. Just this profound experience and awareness that when you cried out, Jesus heard. And something came and happened, and you were met in your crisis of parenting. You were met in your crisis in the middle of the night. You were met in your longing and crying out, and things started changing and shifting, and the world tilted, and you knew, and you know it was God. That's the stories that are told. How do we know that the resurrection story is true? There is no proof. There is no scientific proof. There is no explanation about how the resurrection happened. None. We are given messengers who know it's true. We are given the word of God, the promises of God, moving us forward with confidence and going before us but that's not enough. You, God's longing, is for you to be aware of Jesus alive, walking with you, and having your own encounter, and having your own relationship. That's where this is taking you, and that's how you'll know. That is how you will know. It's true. All of them. And when that happens... Then we become the messengers. Friends, that's the church. That is the church. Why are you looking for the living here in this tomb? He's not here in a tomb, he's not in a history book. He has risen. Let's pray. Jesus, we praise you for the messengers that you have sent to us, but more than anything, we praise you that you are here now and you love us with a love that wants to be known and experienced, with an invitation that wants our response. Oh God, in all honesty, we are used to proof, to scientific proof, to The kind of data that helps us know, and yet the way you want us to know you is experiential. So lead us, O Lord, because of the messengers that surround us, because of your word that goes before us and behind us, right now, this day, help us to know in our own lives, in our own hearts, that you are indeed alive and you are, Lord of heaven and earth, of life and of death. Amen.